The part where Esther was singing, where the lyrics weren't up, uh, were just the truths of Scripture. And as she was singing it, I was just reminded of, that's my hope for each of you today, that you might really believe that our great God, the God of the universe, has lavished, has overwhelmingly said, He loves you. And that not just a cognitive understanding would happen to you, but there would be a feeling, an experience today where you encounter that love. So that's what I hope that happens this morning for you. Um, if this is your first time or you are not receiving our emails, <laughs> uh, I want to invite you to submit your name and email to us. Uh, you can scan the QR code. It's just a chance for us to get to know you, but then also invite you into all the full life of our community. We have a lot that goes on throughout the week, and we'd love for you to be fully engaged, not just here on a Sunday, but to experience true community and relationship. So we'd love for you to just join us in that way. Uh, we'll follow up with you by email this week to begin to get to know you, invite you into that. Um, I do have a few announcements this morning before we hop into a message together. The first is this Wednesday, we are going to have a worship night for Ash Wednesday. Um, and this Ash Wednesday worship night is not going to be a place where we are going to do the imposition of the ashes, if those of you are familiar with that. But we are going to embrace the spirit of Ash Wednesday and the spirit of the church season of Lent. And that spirit is one of removing from us anything that stands in the way of relationship with God and returning our attention and returning our affection back to Jesus. And so we're going to be doing that over the course of every Sunday throughout the season of Lent as we build towards Holy Week and celebrate Easter together. And it'll start on Wednesday at 7 p.m. here at, with our worship night. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, we want to remove any hindrance for anybody to be here. And so if you have kids, we will reimburse babysitting um, so that you can be a part of that. And we'll also have dinner and drinks after the service so you can participate fully with us. Um, the second announcement coming up is our all-church retreat, April 8th through the 10th. We shut down Sunday service, and we go out to, together to one retreat center. We're going to go out to a hotel in Long Island, and we're just going to give that weekend to God so that we might receive back. It's an interruption from your regular weekend routine, from the regular routines you have in life, to be able to encounter God in a fresh way, but also it's a chance for us as a church to come together to really build community to, through new memories and fun and friendships. And so we, I want you just to commit to that, to take time to not just save the date, but to go and to register on our website this week to save your spot. Uh, we're going to a different hotel that doesn't have as many rooms as we've had in the past, and so spots are going to be limited, but we don't want you to miss it. Uh, there'll be stuff for our youth ministry. There'll be stuff for kids. It's going to be a phenomenal time, and we want you to be there. All right, so I do have a special announcement today, and it has to do with our team of pastors, the leadership of our church. Um, so if you are from a church background, different denominations have different leadership structures. Uh, we are what's called typically a non-denominational, or I prefer interdenominational church, where we try to gain from other denominations. Um, but as an interdenominational church, we have our own process of leadership. And we have what's called a team of pastors. And their role is to seek God for the vision and the mission and the direction of this church. And then to seek God for your lives. And to say, how do we care for every person that comes into this church? 
that they would have a unique relationship with God and grow in that relationship. And over time, people on that leadership team have transitioned on and off. And we have two types of pastors on that team. We have staff pastors, uh, where people are paid full-time. That's myself and Phil um, as staff pastors. We give ourselves fully to lead this church. And then we have what's termed lay pastors. And these are volunteer pastors. They carry the burden and get no pay. It's an amazing job. Um, um, but they have, they barely embrace God's call in their lives to say, I want to share the spiritual burden of the souls and the mission of a church, which is a challenge. It's a difficulty. Um, we have been blessed in this congregation time and time again with phenomenal leaders on this team. And today, what we're gonna, what's happening is that we're announcing that one of the members of our team is transitioning off the team of pastors. One of our lay pastors, Justin Iwerks, is transitioning off the team of pastors because God has been leading him and his family into a new season of ministry, into a new season where they can invest in their local neighborhood and be a part of that. Now, Justin's going to come up because he wants to share with you how God led him to that, but also he has some words for us as a community. And any time that God gives words to our team of pastors, we want to say, let's listen. But I want to just say a few words of thanks to Justin. He has faithfully pastored this church for over 12 years. And he didn't come into this church community thinking, I'm going to be a pastor. He simply said yes to God. Not only him, but his wife, Rebecca. They repeatedly say, said yes to God and where, what roles they were supposed to play in this community, and they have literally played every role in this community. From prayer team, to just praying behind the scenes where you never see it, to community group leadership where they gather people in their home, they gather people to teach the scriptures, to even working with our outside giving committee to make partnerships around the world to see God's justice and His kingdom flourish. But beyond that, Justin and his family, they've been pastors to me and my family. They've been pastors to you individually in love and faithfulness. And so I just have such great gratitude, and I want you to have that same gratitude as we honor Justin today and we bless their family as they transition out of our community. And so with that, I do want to welcome Justin up to share. Can you give him a warm thanks and welcome? Good morning, LMCC. How we doing? <laughs> so, in October of 1980, the Talking Heads released their seminal album, Remain in Light, which featured the hit song, Once in a Lifetime. It's a banger. Uh, <clears throat> the song has over 138 million plays on Spotify. NPR named it one of the 100 most important American musical works of the 20th century. The song's lyrics were inspired by preachers delivering sermons, and they explore a variety of questions that someone going through a midlife crisis might be wrestling with. But uh, don't worry, that's not where I'm going with this. <clears throat> um, questions about the past and what the future holds. At the end of the first verse, the band singer, David Byrne, exclaims, and you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? <clears throat> 
And as I was starting to piece together last month what I wanted to share with you this morning, um, there was a snowstorm in January, so we had to postpone. Um, this question popped in my head, but with a, a slight twist. Uh, and you may ask yourself, well, how did we get here? Um, in other words, how did this church get here? Um, before I go on, uh, I just have to go on a short detour. Uh, something came up at the end of the week. Um, so on Friday, before I left work, um, I was going over these notes, you know, these reflections I'm reading from right now. And, um, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and it was time to leave, so I left work. And uh, the place I work is adjacent to uh, the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum. It's on the Upper East Side. Um, usually when I leave work, I make a right, because that's in the direction where my home is. But on Friday, I had to go to a, an event on the West Side, and so I made a left. And so I make a left, I go by the Design Museum, and... Um, Calvin, if we could put up a picture of what I saw. <laughs> That's the album cover to Remain in Light, the Talking Heads album. And I can, I can assure you, there are lots of good album art for all kinds of albums in the world. And even the Talking Heads have many great album covers. But this is the one that happened to be on display in front of the museum on Friday. Um, Logan, how do you interpret this? Like, what, what does this mean? <laughs> Is this, does this qualify as a wink from God? Yes, okay, it's a wink. We're going to go for a wink. Ah, just amazing. Um, so, you know, serving as a lay pastor uh, at LMCC over the past 12 years has been an incredible journey. I say incredible because the fact that we are all gathered here this morning in this beautiful space would have been inconceivable 14 years ago. So back in late 2008, it was clear that the church, then called Mosaic, Uh, was in financial trouble. We didn't have the resources to pay Greg Farah, our lead pastor, and in attendance was very lean. In the summer of 2009, Greg stepped down after previously asking Ryan Holiday to take over the lead pastor role. Uh, and, and Greg knew Ryan from when he was his youth pastor at Saddleback in California years, years ago. Um, Ryan agreed to take on the role, and in the summer of 2009, at the age of 25, and while attending law school full-time, Ryan began leading the church. It was a big change, but it was clear that God was in it. So, fall of 2009, we had our first annual Thanksgiving offering. This has changed names over the years, and the timing of it has changed as well, but it was, it was around Thanksgiving uh, for the first one. And we set a target of giving $25,000 as a church community. So we ramped it up, the pledges came in, and our target was completely blown out of the water. Um, the church gave $60,000 back to God. So after you know, this period of significant financial hardship, um, God was using our community, um, using our faithfulness, really, uh, to begin rebuilding the church. Uh, he was in it. In early 2010, uh, Ryan introduced a new church leadership structure that included a team of pastors, and a team of ministry leaders. In addition to Ryan, the team of pastors initially consisted of Kara, uh, Gary Broyles, and myself. Now, were any of us 100% sure that we were the right four people to lead the church? No, not really. But we made every effort to make, um, we, 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 
we took every effort to, to listen to God, right, and to um, act with obedience to, to his word. We prayed, uh, we listened, and ultimately said yes to his direction, and God was in it. Um, so now we come to two disprosis, you know, where we are today. Um, how did we get here? I mean, this place is beautiful. Let's look around. It's an amazing location to hold church. Um, you know, what business does a little trick like LMCC, especially at that time, have in a place like this? Um, before that, our Sunday services were predominantly held at PS89, so it's just down the road on the West Side Highway. And uh, for many years, um, we, we even met in the cafeteria at the school with its lovely fluorescent lighting. <laughs> the, the, the legality of whether houses of worship could meet in public spaces like elementary schools um, became, uh, well, it, it became uncertain, you know, whether we could keep doing this, right? So um, we had to start thinking about alternative locations to hold church. And so we just kind of spread out and investigated what might be around. We even visited a, a movie theater so as a possibility, but um, that did not uh, fly. And, uh, and this was among the places that was discovered. And so we, you know, we checked it out and thought, oh, this is pretty cool. It's got amazing views, beautiful space. You know, it had some downsides, but you know, we, were, we, were, we were pretty excited about it. Um, and then you know, when the team of pastors was discussing it, uh, we, we felt that we needed to act faithfully and move to this spot for the foreseeable future. Um, despite the geographical change you know, coming out of Battery Park City, um, you know, we, we anticipated a, a loss in foot traffic. You know, this isn't like a busy street to walk down. And the, um, the cost of renting this was more than we were paying at the, at the elementary school. Um, but we did it. We, we made the move in early 2012, and God was in it. So we're going to fast forward six years now. This is December of 2018. Um, on Sunday, the 16th, 38 people were baptized in this room. 38 people publicly gave their life to Christ. And just by way of comparison, um, there were 38 adults who attended our first all-church retreat. You know, the, you know, the one that Logan just announced is happening again this year in April. Um, yeah, we had 38 adults at that uh, retreat. So <clears throat> it, it was simply astounding um, to witness that. And it even happened on my 38th birthday. It was a great gift to see that. Um, so God was in it. Uh, Logan, who joined LMCC as an associate pastor in 2017, transitioned into the lead pastor role in August of 2019. And just as he was getting into his groove, a global pandemic started a few months later. But instead of retreating and pulling back, Logan and the LMCC staff quickly pivoted to live streams and produced numerous live devotionals during the week, you may recall. Um, the team of pastors began meeting twice a week to pray, listen, and plan. Community groups moved to a virtual format. Uh, the prayer team ran virtually in prayer rooms at the end of Sunday services. Worship continued on Sundays. God was working, and we found his peace in the midst of the chaos. In 1 Samuel 7, chapter 7, verse 12, it reads, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And Ebenezer means stone of help. And in this verse, Samuel is explicitly recognizing how God has helped Israel. I shared all of these tableaus, these metaphorical stones, uh, to underscore what God has done in this community. Um, it's important to remember stories such as these because there will be times when we face doubt 
or uncertainty, when it may feel like God's not present or hearing our prayers. We will need assurance that he is indeed with us. He has brought this church to where it is, and he will be here with you in the months and years ahead. I feel so lucky that I have been able to witness and be blessed by these miraculous works of God. In uh, 2015, my family moved from Brooklyn to East Harlem. This geographical change created a tension between our day-to-day lives and going to church um, here at LMCC. Um, The two worlds rarely intersected, and after a recent season of prayer and reflection about what church should look like for our family moving forward, we received clarity that now is the time to become part of a church community closer to where we live. It's hard to say goodbye to a church um, that we've been part of for so long. You know, it's been almost almost 18 years. Um, but we are placing our trust in God and submitting to his guidance. In the final verse of Once in a Lifetime, Byrne shouts, You may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? <clears throat> Similarly, I might ask myself, what will, t- you know, t- taking this new direction mean for me and my family? What will it look like for my family to find and become immersed in a church on the Upper East Side or, or East Harlem? Well, we're praying that it won't be too hard to get connected to a new body and that we can draw on the many lessons and experiences we've had at LMCC to spread the gospel and serve those in our community, in our neighborhood. We hope that our kids would find a Christian community that overlaps with their school and, and sports. We know that God is sending us out, but you know, maybe it's not really a, a new direction. It's just a parallel one. We're excited about what he has in store. We pray for us. Thank you, LMCC. Love you all. God is in this. Um, that's what our team of pastors have agreed with Justin and Rebecca, is that God is in this for them. And we believe as a church in honoring and blessing, that we want to honor the work that God has done in and through people. We want to bless them as they go forward. And so I actually want to invite Rebecca up uh, to join Justin along with our pastors. And uh, we want to pray over them a prayer of blessing and kind of sending them out. And so um, Kara actually came to me this morning and just shared uh, from part of Hebrews. So she's going to read from Hebrews, and then I'm going to pray. Um, And as we pray, I'm going to lay hands on them. And the practice of laying hands is something the church does regularly. Uh, But since you're in the audience, I'm not going to invite you to come and lay hands. I'm going to ask you to kind of extend hands, just to raise your hand and say, I agree with what we are praying today. So Kara, if you'll read Hebrews for us. I'm keeping my back to the hour so I can keep my act together while I do this. We've served together for a really long time and have had um, witnessed so incredibly many miracles that if Justin listed them all, he, it, we'd be here for weeks. And I promise you he has a record of all of them because he's our unofficial church historian. If there's ever <laughs> anything the pastors can't remember about what we decided or how we used to do something 10 years ago, just ask Justin because he's got the old email or document or whatever you need. Um, He has served on our worship team. Um, Yes. (laughs) He's the person I turn to in a meeting when something doesn't make sense and I look at him and say, 
did that make sense? Mm -hmm. And he'll, it's like when you're on a flight and there's turbulence and you look at the flight attendant and they look on her face to make, or his or her face to make sure everything's okay. That's Justin. He's my flight attendant. And in pastor's meetings, I look at his face and say, is this okay? Is this right? And he's always um, has a good word about that. So his wisdom is unbelievable. The gift of his wisdom to this church, I can't begin to measure. And I have a secret. Can I tell her a secret? Uh, Rebecca is my secret swearing partner. <laughs> Pastors aren't supposed to swear. Every word that comes out of our mouth is supposed to honor God. But let's be honest. Some of the stuff that happens in a church just needs a good swear word every once in a while. And when I need to say one of those, I just call Rebecca. I let it rip. And then we're done. And it's over. And I can move forward. And I know that that she won't hold that against me. So thank you for that partnership. I hope that's not ending because I still have your phone number. <laughs> All right. So these are the words that close the book of Hebrews. Um, the author is writing to fellow believers and encouraging them and giving them a word of exhortation about their continued ministry with or without him. I'm assuming it's a Mal that wrote this. And also assuring them that he looks forward to being reunited with them. So we're not, no, we're not split here. We're united. We'll be reunited in the kingdom work that is now spreading from lower Manhattan to northeastern Manhattan. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Um, so grateful. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you need to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, in whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me as we bless them and send them off? Father, we agree that you are in this. We bless Justin and Rebecca and Cambria and Calvin and Max. We bless their family and we bless their home. May you continue to be with them and lead them every step. May you give them the courage again and again to say yes to you wherever that may lead, and would you bless the work of their hands, both in the world and in your church, that they would see your kingdom flourish. Their passion is to see your wisdom and your knowledge fill this earth and your justice to rain down like mighty waters. And so use this family as we send them out. Bless the next body that they go to as you have blessed us with them. And so we thank you for them. It's with gratitude that we look to you and say, you are good to your people to give them faithful and godly leaders. And we bless Justin and Rebecca. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Yes. Give them one more round of applause.
Uh, Kara was quoting from Hebrews in that same chapter. It says, consider your leaders and the outcome of their faith and imitate them. Uh, and so my kind of last word to the rest of your community is you may ask, like, are we adding to the team or not? We always wait for God to say and to lead us on that. But for all of us, it is a chance for, to say yes to God the same way um, that Justin and Rebecca have to be able to say, I will stand in the gap. I will serve his people. I will do what he asks. So I encourage you um, to just follow and imitate their faith that says yes to God regularly. Um, one of the things that Justin said at the very end, and I didn't have a, a plan for this uh, really until he said it. He said, he talked about this idea of a parallel work of God. That where, where we're working as LMCC, God is leading them to work up in East Harlem. Um, as he said it, it kind of expanded my mind to realize like God is doing the parallel work around the world right now. And it made me think about what's going on in Ukraine. Um, it's impossible to ignore uh, what has happened with Russia invading Ukraine. And um, if you've been like me, it's been like, I want to be as up-to-date as possible and, um, you know, biting on all the misinformation and then being disappointed when the ghost of Kiev isn't real. Um, and in all of that, I was just thinking, um, God is still at work in Ukraine. And God is at work in Russia. And right now, as we pray and gather, there are people praying and gathering there. And what I want to do is just hit pause on our gathering to kind of participate in a spiritual way in their gathering because they're crying out for peace and they're crying out for deliverance and they're crying out for protection. And we get to join with our brothers and sisters around the world and say, we agree. And so uh, can we just pause for a second and, and ask the God of peace that Kara just read about to enter into the conflict that we're hearing about? Father, this is, the only, this is not just the only conflict. It's the one that is most pressing that we feel, at least. And so I ask that you would be with your ministers, with the men and women that are faithfully trying to care for children, caring for the wounded, caring for the dying. I ask that your peace would go and reign. God, that we might see you make a shift in a time of war to a time of peace. How we stand against this activity with you because we want your kingdom, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of life to reign all over the world because Jesus, you reign all over the world. And so we partner with you in prayer to say, protect the lives. God, protect lives of those fighting. Protect Russian and Ukrainian lives and put an end to this conflict. God, may we see your power push back the forces of darkness. God, be with leaders. They need wisdom. They need your wisdom and your guidance. They would not be motivated by any nationalistic pride, but they might be motivated by you and motivated by your desire to see human flourishing in this world. So God of peace, rain down your peace all over the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, thank you for veering away from the plans with me. Um, we are finishing our sermon series on healing relationships. And over the last few weeks, we've been focusing in on the teachings of Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus wants to heal. The relationships have been severed. They've been ruined. They've been challenged. They've been stretched. 
um, over the course of these last couple years, and they're always stretched and challenged. But if we look to the teaching of Jesus, we find in Christ someone who wants to bring healing wherever he goes. That he came, that we might know life and life abundantly, and that in every relationship. And specifically, we've been saying not how do we change others, but first, how do we seek Jesus to change us? Because Christ came in to bring healing into areas of unhealth, but he also imparts to us his healing power that we might be the healing presence wherever we go. And that's what we've been turning to, and we're going to look one more time at the teachings of Jesus in this series, that we might embrace it. And the passage today is connected to Marcy's message last week about this idea of being fully present. That if we can be fully present with God, we can receive all of His healing power, and then being in His presence allows us to be fully present in the face of other people. Undistracted, unaffected by what's going on, but focused on the person in front of us. And here in the teachings of Jesus today, I want to look at how you bring God's presence into every relationship. And so I'm going to read um, from, the, from a passage in the Gospel of John. And uh, we don't do this often, but it's God's Word, and I want to actually invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word in John chapter 14. It'll be on the screen, but it's a chance. I just want you to meditate on the words Um, in this passage. These are the actual words of Jesus to his disciples. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. And when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. One of the disciples, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. And I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. See, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you'll believe. This is God's Word. Thank you. You may be seated. So my main question that I want you to consider today is where is God in every relationship that you're in? Where is God at work in you? Where is God at work in them? And where is God at work in you together? That's the main question. Can we sense 
what God is up to? Can we know what God wants? And in doing so, I just want us to remember that that is the goal of this entire series, is that we would become the healing presence in every single relationship. But we only do that by seeking God's healing presence in our lives first. Just like Marcy said last week, it's about you being filled with God so that you can go and fill every relationship with God, not just your own presence and your own ideas, but God's ideas. And so what today's message is going to be about is, uh, I'm going to actually quote the great Ted Lasso, uh, because I haven't done that in a few weeks, and I'm obsessed with it, where we look at one of life's most complicated shapes, love triangles. See, love triangles is something that's commonly referred to in romantic relationships where there's typically inappropriate love triangles. Multiple people wanting to love the same person. But I'm not using it romantically. What I want you to see is that God himself is love. And that his intent was that we would exist in his love triangle. The first and strongest is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a triangle of love and strength and healing that we've been invited into that relationship. God intended triangles, if you will, to be a place of strength. He talks about this in Ecclesiastes with the Book of Wisdom, saying that one person can be overpowered, two might defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's not merely a wedding verse. It's the idea that two individuals that are looking to God is the strongest sense of healing and power in a relationship. That's his ideal. At creation, he intended for Adam and Eve to be looking to him and his direction. And he says he even walks with them in the cool of the day that he would be in relationship with them. God desires that you are in a relationship with another person, but also God's presence is a part of that. He wants you to create a triangle in that sense. And what tends to happen in every relationship is triangles exist, whether God's involved or not. See, there's a cord of three strands inside of every single relationship that you're in. But some of them are very easily broken. Inside of the workplace, it could be your boss and you and the project that you're working on and the stress and the anxiety that goes in that. Or it could be you, your boss, and his or her boss. Or you and the employees. Inside of a marriage, it could be you, your spouse, and a child. You, your spouse, and money. You, your spouse, and your workaholism. Whatever it may be, there are these triangles that exist everywhere. And God intends for his presence to be in those relationships instead of other triangles. And so what I want when I walk through today is there are, there are two steps that you need to take to bring God's presence into your relationship. And there are some promised results that the scriptures show us. And so that's the three sections, two steps that you are to take and one result that you are to look for. The first step is the step of awareness. What I want you to become is aware of what you are bringing into every relationship. Because most of us just go from one meeting to the next or work to home without any reflection of what we are bringing. We even wake up in the morning, as Marcy was talking about, and we turn either to the news of the day or the emails or the calendar or the agenda as opposed to turning to God to say, who are you and where are you at in me today? Your new mercies, do I know them? And how do I live in what you have on your agenda today? 
And so I want you to take a step back and consider what are you bringing into every relationship? See, in this passage in the teaching of Jesus, he says, it is better for me to go away because I want to move from just being someone with you to being someone in you. He's talking to his disciples who have watched in partnership Jesus do miracle after miracle, bringing mercy where people have never received mercy, comforting those in grief and loss, bringing miracles of healing and power that they've never seen before. If I was one of the disciples, I would only think one thing. I never want to be far from Jesus. I want him right next to me in everything I do. And Jesus is going, I'm going to leave. And I'm doing that because if I go away, if I die on the cross, if I raise from the dead, if I defeat sin and death and Satan, I can ascend into heaven, and then the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, my spirit that gives me power, inside of every single person who believes. And so Jesus is moving from someone just with you to someone that is in you, so that he can be around you and active through you wherever you go. And that's a big transition. But what he's trying to hint at is that what is in you is what is going to control working through you. That what is inside of you will multiply around you. If anxiety is in you, it's easy for it to become contagious around you. Because anxiety can come through you to others and then it's just a stir of anxiety called Twitter. If there is anger in you, it can multiply. But in the same way, positive things. Generosity, when you are around it, it multiplies. Justin shared the story of LMCC. When you hear about generosity inside of people, it motivates you to be generous. On, on side story on that, on Friday morning, my wife and I went to breakfast. We went to Balthazar. It was lovely. And we sat down next to a woman who was eating by herself. And the waitress came over and brought her a glass of champagne and said, compliments of the house. And I thought, I'm sitting next to a famous person. <laughs> and she laughed because she was like, ah, I come here too much, I guess. They just give me free drinks. Um, and we got to know her. And then eventually she left. And I asked for the check. And instead of the check, the waitress brought me a postcard that the woman next to me had written on and said, a blessing eating next to you, pay it forward. She paid for our meal with the idea that us experiencing generosity would naturally create in us a desire to be generous going forward. The same is true in kindness and love. When we see it, we want it to be multiplied. And so the question to ask of you is, what are you bringing inside of you? What is in you that begins to work through you out to others? Is it anxiety and anger or is it generosity and love? See, God intends for you to transition what is naturally within you that could be negative to being Him inside of you. That's the promise of the teachings of Jesus, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what you and I have to consider is what is crowding out the space that God wants to fill? What are we filling ourselves with that is not God that doesn't allow him to work through us because he can't fit inside of us anymore because there's too much of us in us. One of my biggest struggles is anxiety. My counselor's given me a tool to give anxiety a name to personify it. So I call anxiety Alan. If your name is Alan, I'm sorry. 
Alan likes to come around a lot. He doesn't just buzz. He has a key to my apartment, and he comes in pretty quickly. Now, anxiety is not always bad. It's a biological tool that God has granted to us to alert to us times where we need to be active, times where we need to run from something that can hurt us. But there are other anxieties that are fully irrational, and Alan has a lot of irrational thoughts. But when I start to feel that tightening of my chest, I can go, okay, Alan, why are you here? What's the message that you're trying to tell me? And then when I try to listen to Alan instead of pretend he's not there, I can decipher. Is Alan trying to fill me with lies? Because he loves to catastrophize. He loves to just spiral down and say, the worst case scenario is about to happen to you. And if I don't stop and question what Alan is saying, I can't turn and then go, God, what is Alan saying that is true? And what lies is he trying to tell me? See, because I need to be able to discern truth from, from fiction. And God, in his presence, said, I want to give you the spirit to lead you into all truth. God doesn't want to lie to you. And he doesn't want you to live in the lies of the world and others around you. He loves you. So he wants you to know what is true and right and good for you. Where anxiety will often tell you what will be bad and negative and destructive for you. And that's only going to happen. When Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not going to be abandoned. I will never leave you. I will always be with you, even to the end of the age, the scriptures say. What is it in you? For me, it may be anxiety. For you, it may be other things. It could be workaholism. It could be a relationship that is out of whack because you become codependent on how they think or feel. What is in you that is crowding out of God? See, that is the first step, that you get awareness. That you might even ask God, show me what is in me that is not of you. But you need to hear that awareness is the first step. I think we're in an age of worship of awareness. Aware of your personality, aware of what's going on in the world. We think awareness is all we need. But Jesus says, I, just not, I don't want you to just be aware of me. No, I want to fill you in your life. And so that's the first step. The second step is that you would replace what is crowding God out with God himself. That you would replace what is in you that is not of God so that he could be fully in you and you could be fully present and filled with God. See, in, in this passage, Jesus says, All who love me do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Jesus wants to send the Spirit to do a renovation in your home. He wants to come in and change how your apartment looks. He wants to come in and change how your inner life works, how your thought life works, how your emotions work. He wants to do a full-scale renovation. That's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. We are not naturally inclined to be filled with everything that God wants to fill us with. When my wife and I had kids, and some of you parents will know this, you start to baby-proof your house, right? You start to move things around so that the baby is not harmed or affected by what's going on. But eventually you move on from just baby-proofing because you can't control everything a child does and a child could climb on top of a refrigerator in ways you never would have imagined. You move from baby-proofing to trying for the child to thrive, 
to building an environment in a home where the child could grow and be successful in whatever they're doing. See, what Jesus is doing in sending the Holy Spirit is inviting you to not just baby-proof, to not just remove the things from your life that prevent God from working, but to actually put things in your life where God can thrive in them. And so he's saying, I want to fill you with my spirit, and that's going to remove some things that will harm you. But it also means that you have to fill yourself and fill your home and your life with things that are of God. See, he wants to do a full-scale renovation. Now, what does that actually look like? We've heard at times, be full of God, be filled with his spirit. How? The, the first act that you have to do is to say, I want to just live for God. See, Jesus is the model for what it looks like for us to live a spirit-filled life, a God's presence-filled life. And it began at his baptism. At his baptism, when Jesus said, I'm fully giving my entire life to God's agenda and God's agenda only, this is what happens in Luke chapter 3. It says, when Jesus approached John, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It has to begin with you fully surrendering and saying, Jesus is Lord. That gets manifested in the act of baptism. And so for those of you who have been baptized, it's that you hear the words of Jesus over and over and over again. He lives from this starting point going forward. God's love and pleasure is on you. And that's what God wants you to live from as a foundation every morning. That you might even declare to you, I am fully loved and God's full pleasure is on me because of Jesus. That's your baptism, but that's the starting point that you live from each and every day. That's the new mercies. To start from there and his approval means that you won't de depend on the approval of the boss, the approval of the spouse, the approval of the child, the approval of the friend. You live from approval. You don't need it any longer. And so that's the starting point. But it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Because inside of you, as that happens, the spirit that descended on Jesus descends on you and fills you, but now there's a war within, the scriptures say. They describe it as a battle of your flesh, your old nature, and your new nature. Jesus trying to do this battle of renovation within. And there's a war going on, and you get to pick sides. In Romans chapter 8, it says it like this. It says, you are no longer controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Christ at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Those two last two verses are powerful. The spirit that broke free from a tomb governed by death is now inside of you. 
So anytime you're facing a situation and you're going, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out. They didn't know Jesus was going to break out of the tomb. But the Spirit of the living God had that much power and now it lives inside of you. But there's an aspect of control. That instead of anxiety control you, the Spirit could control you. Instead of anger telling you how to act, the Spirit can tell you what to do. The Spirit can lead and transform how you're supposed to act and begin to control you. In Ephesians chapter 5, it goes on to say this is how you get filled. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. There's a few things in that passage. One, it says, quit just reacting to the world. Move out of reactivity. When that moment of provocation comes, pause. <laughs> and then turn and be filled with the Spirit. Andrew Murray in his book, Absolute Surrender, says, being filled with the Spirit is simply this, having my whole nature yielded to His power. When the whole soul is yielded to the Holy Spirit, God Himself will fill it. Act of surrender, like we were singing about earlier, that we would say, I surrender my fears to you so that I could be filled with your peace. This anger, I surrender to you. I'm angry at that person. You do what you're going to do in this situation, and I'll take a step back. A.W. Tozer went on to kind of expound on that and said, It may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. That's a challenge. Because you are as filled as you want to be with the knowledge about your career. You're as filled as you want to be with the knowledge about Ukraine. You are as filled as you want to be as the knowledge about what is going on in your life. It is time for you to take ownership to be as full as you want to be with God. He's not hidden himself. He has granted to you his holy and divine word that you might be filled with who he is, knowing how he acts, knowing even his confusing ways. He is not shy. And there's a challenge for you to say, I will be as full of God as I want to be. It's a challenge, but it's an invitation to us as well. It's just a fact that you have to pursue it. That every day you get to wake up and you get a choice. I'm still choosing the phone a lot of times before I choose my Bible first thing. <laughs> and then Marcy's words come back and convict me because she shouts. And it just <laughs> sticks into my head. But man, it is so much better. It is so much better when I do choose the word, when I choose not to skip community group, when I choose to join in the people of God in prayer and worship, to say I'm filled as I want to be. Now the promise, if you take these steps, if you begin to be aware of what is filling you and what is coming out of you to others, 
a few things happen. In your awareness, you're not only aware of yourself, but you begin to be aware of others. That Most of what they're bringing to you has nothing to do with you. It's something that happened away from you. But also, you can have the Spirit of God to discern, but then in your discernment, you have to replace what fills you and crowds out God with being filled with God. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you see the results. The results are what we commonly refer to inside of church circles as revival or awakening. It is God's power manifest in every single relationship. And when you hear revival and awakening, you may come from backgrounds where it's super sensational, where it's people falling over and it's people with just speaking tongues and it's healing and miracles. And it is that. But the sensational always builds on the simple. It always builds on the simple. Because in the life of Jesus, him being so spirit-filled is when someone as a woman is brought in adultery and cast before him and condemned by the world around them, instead of joining in this frenzied condemnation and judgment, he bends down and extends mercy to one human soul. And in doing so, the world around watches and says, who am I to condemn this one? It looks like Jesus, when he meets with, Lazarus, with Lazarus' sisters, as Lazarus is dead, and they're weeping. He doesn't just pass her crying to go to the tomb to do the miracle. He says, Jesus wept. And we're so Americanized that weeping is like a tiny little tear. That was wailing and crying out joining this frenzied shock of loss, grieving with one, a simple act. And yes, it is the sensational. It's the miracle of provision of five loaves and two fishes that multiply to feed thousands. It's greatness from small beginnings. Yes, it's that too. See, this is why we have been emphasizing this, that you might be able to break free individually so that you're not filled with the pain of the past, but you're healed from the pain of the past. That you're not stuck looking inward going, how do I get healed, how do I get healed? But you begin to partner with Jesus to look outward. That you might be set free from anxiety and pain and wounds and lies. Because Jesus is on mission, and as much healing as you need, so does your neighbor. And here's the promise of us being super filled with the Holy Spirit. Rob Reimer, who we've embraced and been led in classes, and more of his classes are coming in a few months, he says this about revival. Revival is a spirit-filled community of believers. It is a community of believers who have been filled with the Spirit and are continuing to live in the fullness of the Spirit. I highlight that because... The promise of Jesus is that he'll fill each one of you. Just because I get paid to do it doesn't mean I'm the only one that's supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Just because the lay pastors have committed to it as part of their calling doesn't mean they alone are to do it. There's a lot that I look at the world and say it's not the way it's supposed to be. There's a lot that I look at my own life and I think it's not the way it's supposed to be. 
But the way it's supposed to be only comes when each of us, you and I, say, I just want to surrender to the Spirit. I want to live from the pleasure of God and His love. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit telling me what to do and how to act in the simple and to believe the sensational when it comes my way. God is making us into a community of believers that are meant to be filled with His Spirit individually and collectively. That's where we're going, and that's where we're inviting you to be a part of. That's what we're pursuing over the course of these next weeks, the renovation. The renovation of saying, I will remove from myself the things that have crowded out God, and I will return to being filled fully with God. So that we retreat together at the All Church Retreat to have a fresh encounter so that after Easter, we're ready to run to our neighbor in need to seek the revival that he has for us, that he called us to run after. So that's the invitation. Be filled with God so God can fill every relationship that you're in. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, enter into minds and emotions and bodies right now to grant awareness. Awareness of where we have filled our lives with lies and sin and destructive activity. And grant to us the courage to surrender in repentance and turning back to you, we invite your renovation so that you, Holy Spirit, can become alive in us, Jesus in us, the hope of glory, because we want to see the results of Jesus' life in our life. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.